Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding, his church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life, it's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious, think well, advance good. This is Q. The gospel tells us that the greatest power comes through two vehicles, humility and weakness. Not through being awesome, but through humility and weakness. And we've all got people that we look up to and we aspire to be like them someday when we grow up. Now I'm 51 years old. I'm a pastor and I'm starting to realize slowly that maybe my legacy is not going to have anything to do with the number of people that I've led, the sermons that I've preached, the things that I've written. Maybe my legacy is going to be that Jesus did his best work through this guy's limp. That was Nashville Pastor Scott Sauls to entice you to stay with us for the next half hour for Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Thank you for listening. In America, we like our high-profile pastors and church leaders. We like it when celebrity Christians like football quarterbacks and pop singers talk about their devotion to God. And while those can be impactful, the reality is the bigger impacts come from everyday people in big and small, gospel-consistent ways live in ways and engage in love toward those around them. And Gabe, for you and the Q team, this idea of helping our listeners stay curious, think well, and advance good by living in kingdom ways is so core to what you do. And I hope Q is just one of those places that you can go to throughout this year and the many years ahead to see how to think faithfully, how to be thoughtful, how to remain convicted, but also contribute to the good in our world, to be people of joy, people who are walking forward, creating tangible expressions of what it looks like to be kingdom-minded in a world that obviously is not of a kingdom mind and that's competing against it and distorting it. And so Q is a place where we hope to just continue to fire your imagination as you dream about what is it that God's called you to do? How can you uniquely contribute in the place that he's already gifted you and positioned you with those around you who you have influence with, whether that's simply the children in your home, whether it's your friends, whether it's your workplace, whether it's a career or a platform. We want to be a place that just constantly fills you up and puts courage in you as you lead because our world needs it this decade more than it ever has. And so we're excited to be partnering with you in doing that. Exactly. So as we start today's show, we hope you are inspired to live in ways that make the gospel infectious and irresistible. But the reality is that the way most people outside the church see the church living out the gospel, they may not see it as beautiful. A few weeks ago, we heard you, Gabe, talk about the Christian view and the fact that oftentimes we present a truncated gospel. There's a fourfold nature of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. But too often, the church in America has not taken that last part, the restoration part, seriously. And that can often lead to not only an incomplete gospel— but one that is also irrelevant. So for our first talk today, 
Let's listen to your friend David Kinneman from the Barna Group. In 2016, he spoke at the Q Conference about research that emphasized that an incomplete gospel can easily lead to an irrelevant faith. Let's listen in. So I've spent the last 10 years studying millennials. I've done tens of thousands of interviews with this emerging generation of teens and young adults trying to understand their spiritual journeys. Uh, As a social researcher, I'm a geek. Uh, Spreadsheets are like my love language. And so I look at these trends, trying to understand patterns, trying to understand what is true about this generation and why is it that so many of them are walking away from faith. And what we see in our research is that literally millions of millennials, young people, are expressing frustration, a sense of disconnection with faith and religion. Uh, Many of the people that grow up in Christianity, about 59% end up walking away either from their faith or from the church at some point in their lives. And this is just one indicator of the irrelevance of faith in our culture today. Another thing that we've been seeing in our research, which is really incredible, is that an increasing number of people believe that essentially all of the good that's happening in our culture uh, would happen without people of faith or without religious institutions. Uh, More than half think that there would be really good charitable work without any people of faith doing that. And this is actually not at all true. Much of what is happening for good in our communities around the world actually happened because of Christian organizations and Christian individuals who are serving the, the common good in their areas. And this is just another indicator of how the relevance of faith is rising. In fact, what we're seeing across so many different cultures is that many people believe that you can live a pretty good life without Christianity. In fact, in the, the United Kingdom, we did a study where we asked people about whether they, they thought following Jesus would have any impact on civic life, on generosity, and we found very little correlation uh, in, uh, in the connection between following Jesus and those other aspects of life. Christianity has become really sort of in, in the background for many people, uh, and they become indifferent to it. Well, the irrelevance of faith is just one part of the challenges that we're facing today, This has sort of been a long burn over the many, many decades, maybe even many centuries as people have sort of put faith and religion on the shelf and sort of said that's just sort of mysticism and myth. Uh, But what we're actually seeing in our research is another kind of perception that is incredibly important for us to realize, which is extremism. And an increasing number of people in our world actually believe that Christianity is extremist. And you can see here that Religion, 46% of the survey respondents that we interviewed said they believe religion is actually part of the problem in our world. After the Paris attacks, uh, when people said they were praying for the the victims of the the terrorism, uh, some of the social media was like, we don't want your prayers in religion, we just want our friendship. They actually believe that religion is part of the problem. They don't even want a, a spiritual solution to the problem of, of sort of uh, grieving about this terror, the terrorist attacks. What we also discovered is that 42% said it's not just religion that's part of the problem, it's actually people of faith that are part of the problem in our culture today. And so this is part of this idea of extremism. Let me just show you some of the interesting things we found in the research. What we, we went through a whole range of different kinds of beliefs and activities, and we found that 93% of adults said that it was extremist to try to use religion to justify violence. Sometimes I wonder where, what are the other 7% thinking? Uh, but widely viewed as extremist if you, use re- if you use religion to justify violence. But look at these other things that are increasingly viewed to be social extremism. 60% believe that if you try to convert somebody to your faith, 
That, that is an extremist kind of act. We find that 52% believe that if you uh, have the traditional view on marriage, that same-sex relationships are morally wrong, uh, that that is an extremist position. We also found that 42% said that if you were to leave a good-paying job and go to serve as a missionary somewhere in a foreign culture, that would be an extremist act. So what's so interesting is that people are, uh, you know, indifference and irrelevance says that faith can be on the margins and it doesn't really matter in our life. What what this idea of extremism tells us is that people are saying religion actually is part of the problem that needs to be removed from our public life. This is increasing in intensity over the last decade as people are sort of wondering how is it that we can build shared societies in a pluralistic, you know, sort of co context? How do, how do we honor what is different about us? Because we all bring our own types of extremism to the table as committed Christians these aren't just things we've sort of voted on and believe that they're important because they just seem to be, be popular. We actually believe that, that scripture matters in this context. So how do we respond to this? Well, there's a lot of different things we could think about, but we don't have to like these trends, but we do have to deal with them. Whatever our context in neighborhoods, in businesses, as faith leaders, we have to wrestle with the context of the irrelevance of faith, of the increasing social extremism of our convictions. I think this is an incredible and healthy moment for the Christian community to wrestle, to struggle with what does it mean to live out our Christianity in this increasingly skeptical age. Listen, there's all sorts of things we could talk about, but let me just give you a couple of examples of how we might respond to this. First, we could look at the fact that with this generation, one in four millennials think they'll be famous or well-known by the time they're 25. This is just incredible. One in four millennials believe that they're going to be famous or well-known. And, you know, we could say this is a narcissistic generation. They're watching too many reality television shows. They're watching, you know, YouTube and seeing other of, of their friends become, you know, famous and well-known on, on uh, you know, these digital channels. But what would we say if we, if we took Ecclesiastes, a book of the Bible that actually talks about ambition and fame and influence and gave us a deep theological point of view towards this enduring question, a generation that wants to be famous and well-known might find themselves, might find some truth about themselves in the pages of Ecclesiastes. This is a place where Christianity uh, isn't just trying to be relevant to be cool, but could actually help to say, to be a person of faith, you could actually, you know, understand the truth about ourselves uh, it, th through the pages of Scripture, to understand the countercultural truth of Scripture. Listen, our beliefs matter. Being irrelevant and extreme for the sake of these beliefs is a good thing when they're expressed in love for our communities and for the people around us. Another way we could uh, sort of respond to the, the sort of the trends, the sort of increasing skepticism in our culture, uh, is we could follow the, the wisdom of, of Hebrews 10.24, which says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good faith. I think that the Christian community could be known to, uh, to recognize uh, examples and expressions of good faith in the people and places around us. There are so many ways in which we're already doing good kingdom things and we should notice them and acknowledge them and, and try to do more of them. I've noticed in doing this research that it's so hard for us to, to acknowledge the good things sometimes even our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing. And I, I just wanted to sort of close by being very specific about some things that I've noticed in thinking about 
how it is we could acknowledge and motivate one another to do acts of love and service for the sake of Jesus in our world. My friend Pam has done an incredible job uh, for many years as a, single, as a single mom, loving and caring for her kids. Uh, and, and my friend Brooke and Christian are doing such incredible work uh, uh, serving in terms of racial reconciliation in Atlanta. A good friend of mine, Gareth, uh, he's a Scot. Uh, he's actually now a pastor in England. And uh, one of the cool things is he's, his story of going up and praying for people, which by the way, majority of people believe that if you pray for a person in public, that's an extremist act. It doesn't matter to Gareth. He's actually praying for his friends, praying for people uh, in public places. Uh, and I just want to acknowledge the good work that Gareth is already doing and see him do more of that. I could think about my sister, Sherry, who, was, uh, who, who at Christmas time went and visited an Iraqi refugee family and gave them food and clothes and just loved on that family. I, I also think about another friend of mine, Lindsay McMillan, who's in Australia, who's trying to think about ways that faith ought to influence the workplace in Australia. These are all just a few examples of good faith Christians trying to do good in their world, trying to bring their faith out of the margins and into the lives of people that they know. How can we be people of encouragement to, to love and accept and find that our, our beliefs actually matter in this skeptical age? I think that Christians can be defined by the good that they do in the world and that this incredible moment of skepticism is a, a huge opportunity for the Christian faith today. I think we as Christians can be known for all the things we're for and for the people that we're for rather than just for the things that we're against. Again, that was David Kinneman from the Barner Group with a Q Talk from 2016 called The Irrelevance of Faith. And remember, many of the Q Talks you hear each week, plus special podcasts and other curated content is available to help you and your team through your subscription to the Q Media platform at qideas.org. It really is the best way to get the best of Q on demand to help your ministry, business, or community organization really think through how to effectively impact your community in ways that apply the restorative nature of the gospel. Learn more again and sign up at qideas.org. As we continue this week of Q Ideas, Gabe, the first talk kind of gave us the bad news side of living out an incomplete faith. Christians and the church perceived as irrelevant. However, with our next talk, there's some good news as well. Tell us about it. I think we're in a moment where people look at the Christian faith and there's a lot of perceptions. Now, of course, I've written about that with David Kinneman in our book, Unchristian, back in 2007. And a lot of our work at Q has been exposing some of the perceptions, misperceptions, trying to get into the roots of why do these perceptions exist about Christianity that really have nothing to do with who Jesus is? How did they happen? And more important, how is it that we're supposed to live? How ought we to live in this world today in a way that's both faithful to the gospel, but truly expresses who Jesus is to the watching world. And so this talk by Scott Sauls, who's the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, it's going to be a talk that helps kind of right-size us, I think, in the context of what God's up to in the world. Not to make too much of our role or our calling, but to understand what faithfulness might look like and to understand how to dream appropriately about that future, but not to put all the weight on ourselves, to recognize that it's God who does the work it's God who renews, it's God who restores, and we just get to participate with him in that process. So let's listen in now to Scott Sauls on Irresistible Faith. 
Thanks to Gabe for welcoming me here to talk a little bit about my latest project called Irresistible Faith. And I thought I was going to be able to summarize the whole thing in about nine minutes, but I could only get to the end of chapter one. And so that's all I'm going to do. Uh, And the title of that one is Being Okay with Not Being Okay. And I figure this is probably the most accessible uh, and possibly the most necessary subject matter um, that we could leave uh, with after hearing so many uh, world-changing, earth-shaking leaders share their stories and their ideas. I've, I've got to make a confession to you. I have a love-hate relationship with conferences. I, I love conferences because of all the inspiration and all the ideas and, and uh, you know, all of the, the great things that are shared up here on the stage from some great leaders we're going to hear this week from experts in the field of politics, journalism, arts and entertainment, social justice, entrepreneurism, robots and cyborgs, and vocational ministry. So uh, my hate relationship with conferences, however, is that I always walk away anxious, Uh, especially if it's a really good conference. I walk away anxious because I feel like there's no way I can even begin to scratch the surface of all the great inspiring things that I've been encouraged to consider. And I wonder if you feel that way as well. If you do feel that way, uh, there's a a why to it uh, that I'd like to propose to us. And that is that our dreams are always going to be bigger and more than our capacity. So the uh, National Institute for Faith and Work, great organization. You should get to know them if you haven't yet. Uh, They invited a leader named Dave Evans, who'll be familiar to all of you, especially, or at least to some of you, and to all of you who are affiliated with Praxis, you'll know Dave Evans. Dave is extremely accomplished. He teaches the most popular class in the history of Stanford University called Designing Your Life. He's written a best-selling book by that same title. He invented the mouse for Apple computers. Uh, So that's how accomplished he is. And the most humbling takeaway, it was not a takeaway that I expected from Dave Evans from this this event uh, that NIFW hosted. He talked about how the human soul is crafted in the image of God, which means that we all are going to have infinite numbers of dreams crammed into a finite shell. And if we're lucky, if we've got a hundred dreams, we'll be able to get to maybe two or three of them in our lifetime. And then he closed that section of his talk by saying, you're not going to happen. (laughs) And so I walk away, we all walk away feeling like that is extremely discouraging and extremely liberating all at the same time, because I'm not required to happen. All of my dreams are not required to be fulfilled through me. And everything that I hear at an event like this is not required to be fulfilled through me. I love that the founder of Tom's said, find one thing. Did you catch that? Like global leader, one thing. That's incredible wisdom to take away from a conference. But here's where the gospel comes in for me. And I hope for you as well. The gospel is a release valve for those of us who go to conferences and feel anxiety or feel inferiority or feel like, I I wish I could accomplish my dreams like that person or that person or that person. The gospel tells us that the greatest power comes through two vehicles, humility and weakness. Not through being awesome, but through humility and weakness. And we've all got people that we look up to and we aspire to be like them someday when we grow up. And uh, two of those people for me are, are pastors that I, I've had the privilege to work 
alongside of. And the first one is Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. I believe he's the greatest uh, English-speaking preacher of our time. We can debate that if you want. Uh, Matt Chandler is probably up there with him as well. Uh, but, but what I do want to say is that is not what is most impressive to me about Tim, nor is his stellar vision, nor it is, is it the fact that he's the only pastor who made the Forbes top 50 most influential people in the world list. Those are great things, But what impresses me most about this man that I got to watch for five years, he's a humble man. He prays every day. He prays through the Psalms every month. He's been doing so for 45 years. He reads through the entire Bible every year. He's been doing so for over 45 years. He's got a faithful, devoted marriage. He's humble. He listens to critique. He learns. The second leader that I look up to is uh, a man named George Robertson. George is here. George was my pastor Uh, in my 20s, which was also some of the darkest years, if not the darkest years of my entire life. And uh, the thing that George taught me was uh, this thing that theologians call incarnation. The reason why George in my heart will always be my pastor is because he looked at me in my anxiety and in my broken place, and he said, me too. And that was the day that I learned what a pastor was. And I've been loving and following George ever since. And now I'm 51 years old. I'm a pastor, and I'm starting to realize slowly that maybe my legacy is not going to have anything to do with the number of people that I've led, the sermons that I've preached, the things that I've written. Maybe my legacy is going to be that Jesus did his best work through this guy's limp. So I have this this weekly blog. It's sort of cathartic. I write, I put it out there, and some of them get a little bit of attention, and some of them get a lot of attention. And and I think for me, it's kind of a commentary on, on where the human spirit is in general, just in my little world. When I look at the top four uh, most visited, most retweeted, whatever liked uh, blog posts that I do speaking about my own life. So here is one of them. Uh, Coming in at number two, anxiety and depression, my strange friends. Number three, self-loathing almost ruined my Easter, and I'm glad it did. Number four, thoughts on the rise and fall of pastors. And number one, I didn't write it, doggone it. It was a guest post. I love beer and Jesus. (laughs) Welcome to my life. That was written by a member of our church named Jeff Hayes. Uh, You should check that one out. But uh, here's my journal. This is the list of sins that I've been praying for 31 years that God would kick out of my life, and I'm not free from a single one of them completely yet. I pray over these sins, over this list every single day. Envy, pride, discontent, control, anger, greed. Two Easter's ago, three days before Easter Sunday, this happens to us pastors uh, the week before Easter. Uh, Two years ago, a couple of days before Easter Sunday, I asked my wife if she thought I was a fraud. And she said, yes. And then I said, do you think I belong in ministry? And she said, yes. Stop the pity party and start preaching to yourself what you preach to us all the time. You need to cheer up because you're worse than you think. And God loves you infinitely more than you ever dared to hope or dream or imagine. And so as I get older, my favorite thing about the Bible has become this. All the damaged and messed up people in there. Moses with his speech disability. Peter with zero impulse control. His cowardice, his xenophobia. Hosea married to a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. 
Elijah wanted to die. Jeremiah experienced depression. Thomas doubted God. Jonah ran from God. Abraham was a bad husband. Jacob told lies. David abused his power, committed adultery, and then murder. Paul had a thorn in his flesh, spent a lot of time in jail. Joseph and Mary were poor. Jesus Christ was a man of no reputation, lived as a refugee, was a poor man, lacked a formal education, no net worth, despised and rejected by men. This gives some context for me. For some really good news, Anne Lamott said it. It is okay to realize you're crazy and very damaged because all the best people are. We can be okay with not being okay. So my name is Scott Sauls, and God made me a pastor, and he made me a writer. And the worst academic grades that I ever received were in public speaking and creative writing. So these are my only pro tips for you tonight. God chooses weak things. Jesus is not ashamed to call himself your big brother. The well done, good and faithful servant got declared over you at the start line. It's not waiting for you at the finish line. You work out of that verdict, not toward it. You have already happened in the eyes of God, in your completion, in your thoroughness. And so if you let yourself be weak and lean into that, God can do great work through you. You can become the best kind of dangerous, and in my opinion, the only kind of irresistible. Thank you. Well, to hear more talks like this, we want to invite you to come sit in the room with us April 22nd to 24th, 2020. This particular Q conference is just going to have a variety, every talk, new talks, of course. So many of the presenters are people you probably haven't heard from before, and you certainly haven't heard from them in this type of format. Fast-paced, hearing multiple topics, but also some really deep conversations, very important for the year ahead. If I can quickly add one thing, Gabe, this year, the morning before the conference starts, you're actually hosting a couple of changemaker summits, one for church leaders, the other for city leaders. They should be both exciting times. Now, the last I heard, Gabe, Q2020 is about half full, so there's still room for our listeners to get on board. So I'd encourage you to learn more about all that at qideas.org slash 2020. And when you do that, you'll see how to register. You can see the presentations taking place, a lot of the topics, the people who are part of it. We have about 50% more topics and presenters that we'll be adding in the coming weeks and months. And so I hope to see you there for Q2020. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.